Welcome to Living the Life in Tech, a weekly podcast series with CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders that are sculpting the current tech landscape. Each episode, we aim to provide deep insights from our guests, covering off areas that include leadership, innovation, security, and technology that will assist you and your team in evolving your business. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast, we would love you to provide us with a rating on iTunes or any other source you may be using, along with subscribing to the podcast so you don't miss a thing. We also encourage you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter at ciotechasia.com. Yes, hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Life in Tech. My name is Tyra McGurgan and uh, I am the director of CIO Tech Asia, where today I'm joined with Mr. Greg Brooker, who is the group CIO for RACQ. So, Greg, thanks again for joining the show today. And uh, I think for most of us based here, well, in Australia, Queensland certainly seems to be the place to be right now. Yeah, I think so. I think the comments Scott Morrison made the other day that Queensland might be the best place in the world to be at the moment uh, is pretty fair. Uh, We've been incredibly lucky, uh, but I think it's also been a fairly proactive uh, response from from the government and other agencies that's assisted with that luck. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, for those that aren't familiar with RACQ or the, the Royal Automobile Club of Queensland, um, it actually started, I believe, some years back as a, as a motoring club, but is now sort of an end-to-end financial services organisation with uh, banking and insurance arms complementing, obviously, the assistance pillars. But, um, Greg, could you just provide our listeners with a, a little bit uh, of, of a further background around, I suppose, your responsibilities there at RACQ and the overall uh, workforce that you're personally responsible for overseeing? Sure. So... Um, you're absolutely right. RACQ is an end-to-end financial services organisation, um, having grown out of a motoring club. Um, I think uh, some some fairly astute strategies said, you know, motoring is at a point in time um, and we need to be looking at other things and hence the, the move into insurance and also into banking. My role there is, is group CIO. That encompasses obviously the technology components but I also have responsibility for the digital practices, the uh, automation, so our RPA and artificial intelligence engines, and also innovation. So it's it's a very interesting role, um, and certainly one that's been you know a lot of fun over the years. And and I suppose as well when we talk about innovation, there are you know a lot of uh, challenges that go with that within the insurance industry um, in particular. Um, obviously, legacy IT drives costs and, and hampers innovation as well. Uh, what are your thoughts around that? Because I know you've just um, upgraded uh, one of your your core banking systems and self upgraded insurance guidewire platform, and I think it's a replacement of a twenty five year old legacy legacy membership platform as well. Um, what are your thoughts around all that for, uh, for any insurance business? Look, I think none of us have a greenfields environment. I heard a great quote that, you know, a greenfields environment, it's like when you used to travel alone versus when you travel with a family um, and all the baggage that you bring when you've got two or three kids travelling with you and similar. Um, and most of us live in that world. We started a journey back in 2015 that said we didn't want to be constantly doing large legacy system upgrades, particularly you know, bank platforms and insurance platforms. And so we moved into what we coined internally as our, our green IT model, where we would utilise SaaS platforms and we would rely on the vendors to 
provide updates to those platforms every six months. We would roll them out. And part of the philosophy there was um, that RACQ would accept that the, the nature of core systems these days are that they're fairly generic um, and that your product um, or your products are not differentiated for you from your, your member or your customer expect, uh, perspective. So what we've done is, is we roll those platforms in, we keep them fairly uh, or as generic as we can so that we take those new releases every six months and we spend a lot of time and effort on our integration layers and on our member-facing layers. So that's that's where we see the, the true growth in the organisation coming from. Uh, any product you know, we think can be replicated across six months, but if you've got a, a great customer experience or member experience and it can do the things very, very quickly across whatever channel a member may choose, then you've got yourself a real differentiator. So it's a very much a case of bringing the platforms current. So we've, as you mentioned, we've just retired a 25-year-old platform and replaced it with um, Microsoft Dynamics uh, CRM and also a, a sales engine sitting there. Both of those are software-as-a-service platforms and we take frequent releases for them and we're moving into exactly the same space from a banking and an insurance perspective. Once those are, are done and locked down, then um, we're going to be very, very uh, rapid in our in our focus around whether it's our digital offerings, whether it's our mobile offerings, or the other things that we're starting to see emerge. And our focus will be there rather than on huge, cumbersome, long-term upgrade projects. And and when we talk about um, digitalization, and it's one of the the big, I suppose, key words within the insurance sector at the moment, you know. At the moment, it's a you know it's a hot topic. It's the buzzword, and, and it's what insurance um, companies are adapting. But you know, how long is that going to last for? Because I think you know one of the challenges a lot of these insurance companies are facing is that you know in the next ten years, what is the next phase going to be? So the amount of investment that's going into it now is that going to be completely separate and and change again in, within the next 10 years, which, you know, the answer I think for most companies is yes, it will, obviously, as, as technology adapts. But where do you sit on that with the overall uh, sort of strategy and, and plans for RACQ? So where we are is, is that you've got to continue to digitise your existing business. You know, we've got a customer base that is our existing model um, and our existing world and, you know, our demographic is slightly older and people are have become comfortable with contact centres but have now moved, and I think COVID has driven this significantly, moved into that digital world. But in that space, we are digitising our existing offerings um, and that's that's a, something that's absolutely essential as we continue to, to shift our business. But it's also something I think that has a, a finite time frame and we sort of talk about it in a... 2025, 2026 window. By that window, the millennials that are emerging at the moment, and I think the oldest millennials at the moment are 40, um, but uh, the millennials will be in the marketplace. Um, the boomers will largely be exiting the marketplace. And the requirements and the expectations that the millennials will have um, will be vastly different to what the boomers have had. 
um, they'll have an expectation having grown up with technology and not the technology of clunky banks or clunky insurance companies or similar, but they'll have an expectation that organisations provide a similar capability and offering to Apple or to Google or to, to other organisations. So the challenge for us is twofold, to make sure that we continue to support the existing digital world and the existing business lines through a digital world, but at the same time, we take a step back and we look at you know, what will happen in a world uh, and what will happen particularly to insurance in a world of autonomous or semi-autonomous vehicles, in a world of um, you know, embedded devices in homes, uh, with, with instant notifications around you know, failures of refrigerators or, or similar. And what does that mean for annuity products? Um, what does it mean for, for, for the nature of insurance, you know, the fundamental nature of insurance where if people have autonomous offerings in their vehicles, are they going to be looking at um, or expecting discounts because their vehicles are inherently safer? Uh, if people are not travelling as much because of the changes in, in the, you know, the working model that, that COVID has brought, um, are they going to be looking for trip-based insurance products um, delivered via a mobile-type device and, and potentially to a reverse auction-type model. Um, all of those things are the things that we need to be starting to think about, and it reinforces what I said before, that the, the future world is going to be very much about how we deliver things, far more so than back-end legacy platforms. Those need to be efficient and effective, but it's how we deliver things that will be the differentiator and evolving through that millennial change or that generational change that's coming and the expectations associated with that are going to be key. And I see those changes as being fairly profound. Now, I wanted to ask you with the insurance sector itself, I mean, you know, legacy systems, looking at a newer type of platform itself, you know, for people to make that investment, you know, you're looking at tens of millions of dollars to make that decision itself. So it's not a, you know, a cheap decision by any means. But within the, the business itself, I think, you know, by having more people with a tech background in senior positions, you know, potentially all the way up to the CEO even, um, there is a, a greater understanding of the complexities and, and what is or isn't possible becomes a little deeper as well. So that conversation that you are having is a little bit smoother compared to having to deal with someone who doesn't necessarily have the you know the experience or empathy where it, it comes to tech. What is the hierarchy within the business itself? So when we talk about your senior decision makers and, and management team, what is the overall mix and, and what is the buy-in from the, the senior management team when it comes to upgrading you know your existing systems so we moved um, a couple of years ago away from a traditional tech type structure which had you know technology sitting at almost the back end as a service provider mm -hmm. and we created pods within the business with a, a technology executive sitting on the business leadership teams so we have technology leads for our bank insurance and, and assistance spaces that operate as verticals and as pods within those lines of business and horizontally supporting those, we have our, our architecture, our digital, our security and similar groups so that we've got the ability to respond rapidly from a business perspective but to do so in a manner that's controlled and consistent across the organisation. That has, um, I think, 
led to to a higher level of engagement and understanding within the business of what technology is about. Um, and at the same time, and you touched on it yourself, the technology expertise within the business lines is increasing all the time. Um, you know, the days of having business and technology, I think, have, have come to a close. Um, and now it's very much, um, you know, the, the business is technology and, and acknowledges that, that it can't do the things that it needs to be able to do without a very, very strong technology presence, technology understanding. And so I think that that sort of, that handoff of here's a project, go and do it technology is a thing of the past and it's very much now how do we um, achieve the things that we want to achieve in, in the most effective manner. From a core system upgrade perspective, there's two schools of thought. There are still those who say you need to leave behind legacy and, and get on later platforms. Um, and, you know, there's the SaaS offerings that we talk about there are one of those one of those opportunities that, that we have. And there's others that say you can leave a clunky old core system there and have a very, very strong integration layer delivering out to your members. Both of those approaches have their merits. The challenge that you face with um, leaving an older system there is not so much from a product or, or member perspective, but more from a regulatory and compliance perspective. There is more and more change coming through the pipeline in that regard and building that complexity into some of those older platforms can become very, very expensive and very onerous from a time perspective and prevent you doing the things that you want to be able to do. So, you know, we, we look at the approach of saying if you're going to manufacture insurance products, um, do it on an efficient platform, do it as cost-effectively as you can, but ensure that you deliver it to the member in the manner that they want. Um, and so that means, you know, we look at, at the SaaS um, type model and how we do things there. And I know that um, when COVID hit, the, there was a rapid transition with your business internally. Um, obviously, everyone working from home, it was achieved across sort of three days, seamlessly thanks to your cloud-based scalability. Tell us a little bit about that and um, the systems that were in place and the feedback that you managed to receive from, uh, from your workers. Yeah, fascinating. Something that I don't think you can plan for. Yeah. We watched it coming down and, and started to respond when the first cases hit Australia. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And um, about two months prior to COVID hitting, the GM of our infrastructure space said um, he wanted to buy this year's allocations of laptops because um, he could get a good deal. So we, at that point, at the point of COVID hit, we had a significant number of laptops available to us. We started imaging those about three weeks prior to COVID truly hitting and we actually um, sat down with our, our risk teams and our HR teams and ran a, a mini session around or response session and the scenario we used was a ship docking in Sydney and uh, and people getting off and of course you know a few weeks later the was it the Ruby Princess um, did exactly that mm. so. So we had that scenario down. We knew what we were doing. We started imaging and getting ready for this thing two weeks before we pulled the trigger, maybe three weeks before we pulled the trigger on work from home. I think it was March 13. We pulled that trigger and said, right, everybody's home. And, um, and as you say, across three days, we moved our entire contact centres, we moved and our entire workforce. So 
uh, nearly 3,000 people moved to work from home. The things you couldn't plan for were the things that got you. Um, you know, when we uh, purchase screens, we put them on poles at workstations um, and sell the stands. Um, so suddenly we were short of stands for screens for people at home and uh, webcams were the other thing that we were short of. Um, but other than that, the technology worked brilliantly. And where we sit today is really interesting. Um, you know, we're three or four months into that journey. Our staff engagement has gone up and gone up significantly. The comfort people have in working from home is, has also increased. And importantly, our customer satisfaction scores have also gone up. Um, so overall, it's been a, a really strong experience from, from an RACQ organisational perspective. And certainly it's opened a lot of people's eyes in the business to what will happen or how technology works and the things that um, technology does and and the fact that the perception people have had that work from home is hard and can't be done was literally torn down in three days. Uh, I talked to one CIO at an organisation where they were planning completely prior to COVID to, to do a work from home exercise and they had $500,000 allocated for change management and they did it across a, you know, a two-week window for $20,000 in the end because of the necessity and the realisation that people had that it was the only game in town. So a lot of those structures and things like that got broken down and, you know, I don't think we were going back, and I'm not talking about RSEQ here, but generally I think that the working environment in Australia and probably across the world has changed pretty fundamentally and I think, you know, we'll be operating probably 40 50%, if that, of staff that come in at, at certain points during the week, um, you know, and that, that'll play out in some kind of roster system at, at, you know, three days home, two days at work or similar. That's still a work in progress. Yeah, look, it's just crazy how everything's just turned upside down, right? So, and I, and I know obviously within the, the industry um, right now, you know, supporting new models and working, AI expectations of emerging demographics and, and, and whatnot are key sort of fundamentals. Where do you see AI at the moment um, sort of playing a big part within assurance companies, not only now, but, you know, over the next five years? Well, at the moment, AI is largely focused in the marketing space. Um, if, if you um, pull it apart and look at it, then it's, it's very much around lead and opportunity generation and AI is separate to RPA here. RPA, I think, is... Um, is getting a, certainly on any given day we have 400 instances of robots running. That's that's spread across about 60 different robots, and they're doing all doing pieces of work as part of a job. We haven't seen instances um, at this stage where a robot has 100% replaced a worker's job, but we've certainly got many many instances where productivity has been significantly increased. So RPA, I think, is it's done and dusted from its um, uh, its initial engagement and it's just becoming part of, of how we work now. And AI, as I said, is focused in that marketing space and I think what you'll see across the next four or five years as AI matures is that the world will shift away from it being just marketing into something that's far more general from an AI perspective. And, um, you know, I think that that will also drive 
changes in in how those things work and you'll see a lot more analytics on the edge and real-time AI intervention occurring um, rather than the the current model of tending to pass it through to you know an enterprise data hub and have analytics driving opportunities out of there. I think that that, that will move into a reporting type space and, and similar, but I think particularly as we move to 5G, faster networks and things like that, the opportunity for, for analytics at the edge, real time and, and with immediate interaction with the customer or member is where this is going to go and not just focused around marketing, but, but indeed many other opportunities. Yeah, and look, before we finish up, I know that you're also uh, a quite a keen and uh, experienced uh, lifeguard as well, so volunteer lifeguard on the weekends. Have you been managing to do much of that now since uh, since COVID's been up around? So um, they pulled the flags down and, uh, and they've just gone back up recently. Um, so, you know, when they closed the beaches and similar, um, yeah. it, it all stopped. It's been a... Um, uh, up here in Queensland, it's, it's situation normal. We're on the beach on the weekend and um, the patrol season um, will start again uh, in, at the end of September. But it's, a, um, uh, it's something that, you know, you, you tend to do all the time. It's, it's, it's a very, very good way to give you perspective. You know, if you're, if you're out there pulling someone out of the water who might need a bit of help, it, it really does give you that bit of perspective over a nuance of a problem you might have you know, with, within your work world. 100%. Well, Greg, thank you so much for joining the show today, Living the Life in Tech, and really some interesting insights there around the, the business and, and what you've had to go through, but also you know what the plans are for the future as well. So um, certainly looking forward to seeing the business grow and, and obviously these systems develop. And um, look, we wish you all the best and, and look forward to hopefully speaking to you again in about 12 months' time to see where uh, where, everything's, uh, where everything is. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Greg.